guys, welcome to the CP Junkie podcast, where we bring you interviews with dentists sharing their CPD stories and journeys from around Australia. What better way to learn than to follow those who've already done it before? CPD Junkie is Australia's most comprehensive CPD, so head over to cpdjunkie.com.au and become a member for free to access the full features of the site. I'm your host, Lawrence Doan, and today we're joined by Bez Shukui. He attained his BDS from, with first class honours in 2006 from King's College London. He's a member of the Faculty of Dental Surgeons and the Joint Dental Faculties of the Royal College of Surgeons of England. He has also completed two further university degrees, the King's College London Postgraduate Diploma in Aesthetic Dentistry and the University of Sydney Graduate Diploma in Dental Implants plus a ridiculous number of other courses and seminars. Bez is a passionate about dentistry and is an ever learner, a tinker and experimental by nature, and as such he finds himself constantly innovating ways to tweak and improve his dentistry. He practices the full gamut of dentistry including complex restorative aesthetic dentistry, orthodontics, oral surgery, and dental implants. Dr. Bez Shakui, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, glad to be here. So tell us about your CPD journey so far. Uh, right. So, uh, you know, as you mentioned, I qualified in 2006. Um, that was back in the UK. Um, in the UK, when you first qualify, you spent one year over there uh, doing something vocational training, which is when you work uh, in practice under mentorship. Um, I think currently now, actually, that's increased to two years. Uh, so I did that, which was a nice little intro to working in practice. Uh, after I came out of that, I spent several years working in the hospital system there, um, doing jobs um, over there that are called senior house officer jobs or uh, SHO jobs. Uh, it's kind of analogous to the um, uh, dental jobs in public hospitals here. Uh, but in the UK, the pathway for that is much more developed. So I spend time in, in uh, various emergency or medicine and or surgery departments. So I did that for a few years. Um, I even spent uh, one year working as an all and max official senior house officer job at uh, Ipswich Hospital, which was a very interesting experience and very valuable for surgical skills and wisdom tooth extractions, amongst other things that I certainly won't be doing again. Um, once I came out of that, that's when I moved to Australia. And in Australia, I went into private practice uh, straight away and started on a journey of doing lots more CPD over here. Um, so as you mentioned, um, the two big ones that I've done are the university degrees, uh, which are King's College Hospital, um, Graduate Diploma in Aesthetic Dentistry. That was in 2013 to 14. And then uh, I did the Sydney Uni Graduate Diploma Implants, uh, and that was 2016 to 17. And apart from those, lots of other hands-on courses. Um, basically, I, I guess you name it, but you, you know, whatever this discipline, you know, I've done it, you know, in composites, uh, soft tissue, uh, grafting, endodontics, periodontics, lasers, CEREC, um, or surgery, wisdom tooth extractions. I'm, yeah. I'm sure I'm missing quite a few there, but I think, <laughs> I think I better stop there. 
Yeah, look, I mean, let's let's bring it back a little bit. Was there a particular reason why when you graduated, you wanted to go down that path of um, getting to the house officer kind of role? Because you, like you mentioned, you were doing a bit of restorative and pediatric dentistry at that time, and then you switched to OMFS, but then you kind of came back to pediatric dentistry a little bit, right? Um, the, the pediatric dentistry that I did, that was one particular period, um, mm. which, which was very valuable. You know, it's great to learn how to work with kids. Um, but, but is your question, why did I kind of do all these jobs in the hospital system? Yeah, yeah. Um, because because it, it was very good experience. Um, mm. I, I wanted to um, experience different departments and be exposed to all sorts of different things, I guess. You know, at the time also I was uh, realizing where my interests uh, lay. You know, I, I wanted to know whether I'm going to go broadly into a surgical direction or into a restorative direction. So those initial years really helped me uh, understand, I guess, within myself that I, I primarily see myself as a restorative dentist who also enjoys surgical aspects. Mm. Um, and also, if I'm honest with you, I don't know how much you know about the UK system, but over there, obviously, we've got the National Health Service, the NHS system. And, um, you know, as great as the NHS is, um, I'm, I wasn't all that keen to work uh, in NHS dental practice yes. um, because uh, the NHS, NHS dental practices, um, you know, they've got their own issues over there. So um, yes. I, I was happy to work in a hospital system there and then come to Australia. Fair enough. I mean, because when I hear colleagues go into the hospital in, in Australia, I'm thinking they're thinking they want to specialize. Like we've got um, oral maxillofacial surgery rotations that you can become um, the house officer for that. And so people are signing up for that here because they're thinking maybe I want to specialize in the future in, in this um, area. Yeah. Was that something that was um, also on your mind at the time? So, so thoughts of special special. Specialization definitely went through my head, and I'll kind of tell you how, how that came about and where that led to. But um, I guess in the UK, like I said, these um, hospital jobs or the SHO jobs, um, they're very common. Uh, the way I understand it even now is there are many more positions and pathways in the UK, and there are many more hospitals that do these jobs uh than there are in australia so it's very normal for mm. uh for you to go and do one of these jobs to gain more experience even if you're not thinking about becoming a specialist right um okay. yeah yeah um so you know lots of people go and do you know a year in max facts but then that doesn't necessarily mean they want to qualify uh, as a max facts so it's yeah. not just me a lot of my friends did a year in max facts and it's just really good experience interesting um now why uh, uh yeah i certainly thought about and considered and contemplated becoming a specialist for you know for those early years of my career and uh, the one that i really considered was prosthodontics and for a while i thought i'm gonna go and study to become a prosthodontist um and um the, the more i kind of did various things and um more experience in various things. To be honest, I, I kind of realized I like everything. I, I enjoy everything. And um, I, I realized I, I would almost be doing myself a disservice by getting into a, a particular specialization because I, I wanted to do that, but I also wanted to do orthodontics and I also wanted to do 
uh, oral surgery. I enjoy doing wisdom tooth extractions. Um, I even enjoy doing checkups and cleans. You know, I, I, I derive pleasure and clinical satisfaction from, from doing even the basic stuff. So I didn't want to hold myself in, uh, but mm. rather be a, a general practitioner and make myself the best version of that as I can and keep on improving. So mm. that was, that's where that led me to. Can you, can you explain a little bit about the, um, the faculty of dental surgeons or the joint dental faculties of the Royal College of Surgeons? Is that similar to like our primaries over here? Is that what it's like? The way I understand it, I, I, can't, I can't say for certain because I haven't done the primaries over here, but yes, I think, I think it's something similar. So um, obviously you've got the Royal College of Surgeons over there and um, they have, basically you had to study a lot and take these exams which came in different parts and there was like yeah um written stuff and there was uh, some clinical stuff and uh, by the end of it you you got these uh, you, you passed and you got these memberships um i wow. don't know exactly how the australian version is uh, i know there's part one and part two and i know a lot of people have done part one but not necessarily part two so i think maybe you might have to fill me up in that so <laughs> yeah, it would be similar, something like that. You do a, um, a written exam on it and then you have the orals, um, like the um, case presentations where you, they talk through the cases as well with you as well. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah, so I, I, think, I think they're very similar and quite analogous to each other. Mm. So, okay, so you're working in, in London right now and then at some point you decide to come to Sydney. I came to Australia, so back in uh, 2000, uh, I, I qualified 2006, and back, back in 2005, uh, me and my very good friend uh, Anand, um, we came to Australia, and uh, this was as part of our dental course, because in the UK, uh, you do this thing in your final year of uni, when it's called the, the electives, and um, basically, Dental students are encouraged to go on some kind of a trip. It could be domestic, but most people go international somewhere. Uh, dentistry related. And, uh, you know, that could be 90% dentistry related or 5% dentistry related. But, yeah. you know, you, you, you mix and match. Um, so, so myself and my friend, we decided to come to Australia and we went to Broken Hill. And we spent uh, a good wow. bit of time with the Royal Flying Doctors, which was, uh, which was an amazing experience. Um, that was actually my first experience of Australia. Uh, even before I saw Sydney or any other coastal cities, yeah. I saw Broken Hill and the outback Red Sand. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> so that was amazing. After that, after that uh, we came to Sydney and spent some time over there. And I was blown away um, for, a, for a Brit to come to Australia during the summer and go to come to Sydney or, or any other coastal cities. Um, you know, it, it's mind blowing, especially since I, you know, that was January and it's, it's all freezing cold and raining all the time over there. Yeah. So when I went back to the UK, I kind of thought, why, why am I doing this to myself? I'm, I'm going to think about going to Australia at some point. Um, and literally, I started planning and scheming and got a permanent residency um, sorted out. And I came in 2011. Wow. And uh, yeah, that's that's over 10 years ago and I'm, I've been here since. And yes, I did meet someone uh, <laughs> and 
and uh, married with, with a couple of kids now. So uh, yeah, it's, it's all worked out well. Yeah. So tell me, like, when you're graduating as well, I mean, what, how do you kind of picture doing your CP? Are you kind of um, planning it or are you just kind of doing it bits and pieces everywhere? I, I, if I told you I had a master plan all written down of what to do in what order, that, that, that would be a complete lie. Um, especially in those early years, like I said, in my UK times, before mm. I came to Australia, um, it was very much focused on, you know, different experiences in different hospitals um, and just seeing, feeling my way through dentistry. Mm. That's, I think that's the easiest way to describe it. Um, but then when I came to Australia and I went to private practice here, um, yeah, uh, gradually, you know, I started sort of understanding more my own interests and what I want to do and um doing more and more courses I, th I think i think i wanted to have a very broad base mm -hmm. uh, and that's why you know as, as we listed all the different things that i've done there's such a variety there uh, i haven't focused in one area but really i wanted to be a general practitioner who did pretty much everything a lot of graduates when they graduate they like they want to learn implants or ortho very quickly right so i mean what would you say to that it's, it's a good one, isn't it? Um, yeah, that could, because that's not what I did. I, I actually spent um, quite a lot of years doing other things and um, gaining general experience. I, I think by the time I did, say, implants, I was already a good restorative dentist. I, I really felt solid in what I was doing. And I think that foundation really helped me. Mm -hmm. That's not to say you shouldn't do implants early on. I think, you know, different things might help different people in different ways. For me, when I did implants and I really had that, you know, strong grounding in, in, in restorative dentistry and, and surgery, I was already doing a lot of wisdom tooth extractions. It was, it was very valuable to me. Um, mm -hmm. So I, you know, I, it, it made it a lot easier for me. Mm -hmm. So let's come back to that then, the restorative aspect. How did you try to level up and get better at the restorative side? Um, okay, so I think the uh, well, the King's aesthetic dentistry uh, that I did that was great. Um, so that that's a blended program they call it. So there's uh, hands-on elements to it, and then there's online distance learning elements to it as well. Mm -hmm. um, I'd probably describe that course as uh, the course that really consolidated and solidified my learning. So I already knew a lot of things and had done a lot of things, but you know there was a bit here and a bit there and a bit there, and it was quite, there were holes in my knowledge. Mm -hmm. And that was a course that filled the holes and made the whole thing really part of the whole. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, people often ask me sort of in that, in that, in that program, did you, you know, what brand new skills you learned? And the truth of it is there probably weren't that many brand new things, maybe for some of the other delegates there were, but for me, I'd already kind of knew them and had done them, Yeah. but not in a very unified, proper way. Whereas that really made it proper for me. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, with that one, this is, um, um, how do I describe it? So, yeah, it's 
were you doing how did you come across finding it you know because people say that sometimes they talk to other colleagues and that's how they come across it or because um, you were from you know London you already had prior knowledge this was kind of something that you were seeing I'm from London and I'm from Kings yeah so uh, the, the you know the the main person who runs the program I don't know if he still runs it he might is uh, Professor Brian Miller and Professor Brian Miller was actually um, in his pre-professor days so he, he, at the time he was just Dr. Miller he was a guy that um, actually was in Phantom Head teaching me how to do dentistry. So I knew him, I, I trusted him. So when he came up with this program, um, I went in and did it. And I, I knew various other people who taught on the program as well, like Dr. Sabir Banerjee. Um, so yeah. Wow. For, for me, it, it, I didn't stumble across it by, by accident. I already knew these people and I knew their capabilities. Wow. See, wow. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll openly admit that I actually started the King's College um, Fix and Removal Prosthodontics um, back two years ago. And um, okay. yeah, Prof, Prof Miller um, teaches that now. And to what you said, um, right. uh, he, he doesn't focus as much on the aesthetic side now. He's got someone else doing that. Um, but mm -hmm. to your point, wow, to, to know that you, you knew Prof Miller before he was Prof and he was the the clinical tutor <laughs> yeah do you do you still talk to him if you do say if, if, you, if you do say hello to him from me I, I definitely will i'll be returning back next year so i'll definitely i'll definitely say hi great um so great. when you're kind of going through that program you've completed that program right um where to from there like are you doing are you picked this program is this because the practice and the clientele that you're seeing that's the reason why you've picked this particular program or it was something of an interest to you that you decided that you want to pick this program? It, it, it was something that was of an interest to me and I, I felt like it was a suitable program, I guess, to push me to the next level. Um, you know, as, as a cl clinician growing, I saw it as a valuable next step in my growth as a dentist. Um, and also, um, university, you know, examine program. I'm sure you you understand as well. It's it's different to doing a one or two day course non-examined or anything non-examined. When when something's examined, you don't have a choice, mate. You got to learn. You gotta you gotta put the hard work in. You gotta put your head down. You gotta do the assignments. You're not automatically passed. You, you know, it's it, it's hard work. It's it is. very, very hard work. And a lot of hours and grief and tears went into my two different university programs. But I'm very, very glad that I've done them. Mm. Some of the things when I look at your work, I'm seeing like the sausage, you know, the earthworm technique with the low anteriors, the verti preps or the, you know, the on laser, all of that. Talk to me about when, you know, as yeah. a recent grant looking on, um, how you kind of progressed in your learning into that area? Okay, um, <laughs> I'm a. I'm, <laughs> how do you get to doing all these things, right? I'm a. I love dentistry. I can't stress that enough. Like it's it's my passion. I'm a geek about dentistry. Um, 
there's, there's this running joke in my, with my wife that every, every single time she looks over my shoulder into my laptop, there's some teeth or something on a screen. Um, I go to bed thinking about dentistry and teeth. I, it's, it, it's always in my head. Um, <laughs> it runs in your veins. So, so it's, my nat, 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 it's, it's my natural, it's, it's, it runs in my veins. It's my natural passion. I, I, I eat, drink, sleep dentistry. So I'm, okay, social media has actually been very useful to me. Um, Facebook, Facebook, when, you know, through Facebook, I know it sounds very cliche to say, but I've learned a hell of a lot through it, the University of Facebook. The trick is seeing through the BS and recognizing what's good and carefully trying out some of the techniques on there. Now, how did I start doing various techniques like sausage technique and so on? I think the sausage technique I first saw Lincoln Harris doing it. And I thought, okay, this looks like a good idea. I'm going to give it a try. And I documented it and I did it again and again and again. And I became better and better at it. And I now think it's a useful technique and it's got its place. Um, Verde preps. There's, you know, I, n nobody taught that to me. I, I looked at so many different online sources. Um, the late Massimo Mazza, he was great. He's got a website that he's got a lot of valuable uh, videos on there. So I looked at his stuff. I talked to a lot of people. I read a lot of papers. And I gingerly started doing some of the techniques myself. And I learned a lot through my own mistakes and trial and error. So... I've got this drive, I guess, to do the, these kind of things. And uh, if, if I see something that makes sense and is a good idea, I want to learn it and I want to know how to do it. Hmm. And I like the fact that when you say you learn it, you, you don't just, you know, um, like you said, you go and read more about it and try to really all consume it and also talk to other people to really kind of wrap your head around it as opposed to just being like, okay, I see this right now. I'm just going to go and try it tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, I, I do all these things, but there's a lot of thought and pre-planning that's got into it before I do it. Um, so I guess... Say the sausage technique. Yeah, I mean, with that, you know, yeah, I, I kind of read about it as much as I could, looked at the pictures and tried to understand the descriptions. Um, the Verde Prep was a much bigger journey. So, because I knew I'm kind of going into this sort of an area that not a lot of people do it. Um, so, for that, I, I really, yeah, I, I read all the papers on BOPT and everything from Tomorrow Tooth and um all the various people that do it and um to tr try to really understand why this technique works and how to do it better and uh, i've even tinkered with some of the protocols myself i guess um but yeah no exactly right i if, if i'm going to doing a technique i don't just do it you know cowboy way um, I'm one to really try to understand something before I delve into it. The same was with implants. I, I refused to touch implants until I had a super solid um, learning and, and, and background into them. And that's why I, I wanted to go and do a proper university degree to, to learn how to do them. Hmm. Yeah, and how did you find that um, university degree? You know, because um, you just... 
I don't know, this is intense. When I, when I was trying to learn about you, you had just finished your Kings, and then the following year, or that same year, you started the implant one at the end of it? Is that right? Pretty much. Pretty much. There wasn't much break in between. Um, yeah. uh, by the way, there are no more university programs. I'm, I'm, I'm done with those. <laughs> <laughs> so he a, says. You know, so a busy says. life and two kids now. <laughs> so I say, um, the, the first one that I did, I didn't have kids but the second one I, I just had a baby so it was it was very difficult and and you know my wife was very supportive and unbelievably fantastic to let me go through this course um I think I'm forgetting your question what did you ask me Lawrence oh just like how did you find the course so, so the implant course Sydney Uni uh fantastic like you know if if you want a solid um solid understanding from almost A to Z in implants, um, you can't go wrong. You can't do better than a you know proper university degree. Um, I'm biased, I understand that, but I'm not afraid to say it either at the same time. The course was um, very, very, very well organized. Um, uh, and um, it, was, it was just as a, so before I started uh, uh, Dr. Ivan Kleinberg, was the course uh, director for many years in the year that I started. It's now Dr. Kent Ewan. And Kent is a super guy, unbelievably knowledgeable. Uh, I think I should say associate professor, actually. Um, and uh, look, it, it, was, it was incredible to get exposed to so, like, like pretty much all the specialists, all the, all the big names in implant dentistry in, in Sydney. Um, extremely hard work. So if you're doing it, prepare, prepare for the pain, but uh, you will learn, you will learn implants very well. And the incredible thing also is um, you, the, 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 you're not um, restricted to learning about one or two implant systems because it's a sponsored course. You learn about implants in general. You learn about all implants, design features, etc. So, um, you know, you have days dedicated where Noble and Stram and Southern Implants and Astra come and present their stuff to you and talk to you, mm -hmm. but you're certainly not locked in into learning just about their systems. And that, that for me was very, very valuable. Mm. So amongst all of this and that's all happening, right? You, you've got the aesthetic and then you're doing the implant. How does orthodontics and uh, you know endodontics, all of that kind of come into the picture? Well, the endodontics is a necessity, isn't it? You know, as a general dentist, you've got to do endo. You know, so if I'm doing endo, I want to do it well. So I did endo courses. Orthodontics, um, um, orthodontics, um, I don't do, I don't do fixed appliances. I haven't done a very comprehensive orthodontics course, say one of the bigger courses. Uh, what I have done is Invisalign. Um, and uh, it's, it, I think it's, it's a great system that works well in my hands. Um, there are various clear aligner systems out there. I'm sure they will work well. I'm used to Invisalign, so so that's what I use. But to me, as a you, you, the, the more you get into dentistry and restorative dentistry, you realize you can't run away from orthodontics. You can't escape it. You need it. Um, it's absolutely crucial the more you do dentistry and the, the more you do bigger cases. So, you know, 
I wanted to learn about it. I wanted to be able to do it myself and incorporate it into my own practice. Um, orthodontists are amazing specialists and they do magical work out there. Uh, on the other hand, I quite like having, I'm a bit of a control freak, Lawrence. I, I like having direct control in a lot of things myself. So um, when, when you can plan the orthodontics and the restorative work that comes afterward together, um, it's very powerful and it's very, very useful. So, so that's why I did the orthodontics again, because I'm doing all this restorative stuff, but I wanted to incorporate orthodontics because it's just needed. Mm -hmm. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it just, comp it, they're complementing um, skills to have. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes. So then how does CEREC and the lasers kind of come in? CEREC uh, came into um, working in practices that did CEREC. Great. It's, it's very, very cool technology. Uh, it's not absolutely necessary. If you don't have CEREC, you, you can still do good work. You know, you just send a workout to a good technician and you get the same stuff back. Um, CEREC, uh, if anything, you've got to do more work yourself because you've got to do more hands-on things. But certainly it opens up doors and possibilities uh, of same day stuff, which is useful. So there's, there's quite a draw for patients for that when you can do same day stuff. Um, and, you know, being able to say, you know, provisionalize teeth on the same day. Uh, there are some really useful things you can do with CERC that you can't do otherwise, unless you have an on, you know, on-site technician to do the same things for you straight away. Uh, lasers, uh, lasers actually has been a very small part of my practice. So, um, I, I've only used lasers for a short period of time. And uh, so I actually don't have that much experience with them. I've been on a course with them, uh, but it's not been a big part of what I do. Um, I do have a electrosurgery unit and I love it. I think it's very useful and I work it often every week. I'm using it several times a week, uh, but not lasers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is like, You've got big, you've got these big courses that you're doing, but you've got so many other small, um, not, I wouldn't say small, but you know, other aspects of dentistry that you're also trying to master all at the same time. How do you do it? It's, uh, it's a bit overwhelming, isn't it? I don't know, Lawrence. I just, <laughs> I just like it all. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to be limited. I, I want to. I, I, don't, I want to break out and do everything. Um, so, look, Does I've got no master plan. I'm just trying to be the best dentist that I can be, you yeah. know? And um, I, I get probably for the past year, my new toy or sort of new thing that I'm learning has actually been 3D printers. So that's the next interesting that I'm, that I'm finding. So I, I actually bought myself a 3D printer. So wow. I've... I've I've gone out and taught myself uh, how to do my own digital wax ups. So these days I don't send my wax ups out for traditional wax or digital wax ups. I actually do my wax ups myself. I 3D print them. Um, there's some very cool stuff out there. And I'm just always fascinated by technology. So, so you, you know, I, 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 delve in I mean it, it took me months and months and months before I went and bought my 3d printer I was I was just on on forums reading and reading and reading and learning <laughs> yeah and then I was like okay do you know what I'm, I'm gonna buy one it's time let's do it and um there you go 
Technology yeah. is great. I love technology. Yeah. I mean, look, as someone who's trying to just, who's trying to understand you, because I ask these questions because, you know, in the one I'm thinking is like, you've got these big courses and they're taking a lot of your time because, you know, um, yeah. it's cons- very consuming. To fit in all these other aspects, like, I'm just, I'm just amazed. I just want to say. Like, I just don't know how you fit it in. That's all. <laughs> that's, that's very kind. Uh, I, I guess the, the, the two big uni stuff, they're finished and they're done. So, you know how I said, you know, dentistry is, is, is always here somewhere? So I, I got to feed it. I got to put other things in there to, 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 to satisfy that, that hunger, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I mean, if anything, uh, what um, competes uh, for my time more than anything else are my kids. So, you know, when you got a when you got a you know six and a four year old, uh, that takes up a lot of your time. Mm-hmm. So, if if anything, dentistry has taken a step back, and yeah, I don't know what I'd be doing if I didn't have kids right now. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> are you telling me are you telling me Peppa Pig is is your main um priority right now <laughs> and the wiggles uh, I, I probably should update those 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 were when yeah they were a bit younger than that but yeah look there's there's um th- th- there's a lot of you know you know I, I take uh parenting and being a good dad very seriously so as much as I keep talking about dentistry uh yeah there's there's nothing more important than being a good dad yeah well how do you juggle you know being a super dentist husband and father amongst all of that i don't know about it being a super dentist i i just consider myself a reasonably good one uh but thank you um i i fit a lot of stuff in in the in the evenings to be honest um so I, I carry a fair bit of work home with me. There's, there's quite a bit of, uh, you know, sitting down behind my laptop and planning cases, doing, you know, Invisalign clean checks, doing wax ups, just thinking and tinkering and figuring things out, how to do things better. You know, uh, there's still, you know, definitely not enough to, uh, you know, this, you know, detract from normal life and, you know, being, being available for my kids and, you know, spending time with my family, that, that stuff goes into the weekend, but yeah, I just squeeze it in somehow. I don't know. I don't know, Lawrence. (laughs) I want to ask, you know, a lot of graduates at some point start to contemplate practice ownership or, um, Mm. has, is that something that's crossed your mind? Yeah, of course. I think I think it crosses, uh, you know, everybody's mind, and um, you know, it's something that you c- contemplate quite, quite, you know, seriously. Um, the thing for me, I don't know if you figured out by now. I'm I'm at heart, I'm a clinician. I'm a I'm a dentist, and um, you know, practice ownership is something that can never be. The business of dentistry can never be separated from the practice of dentistry. You need a business to exist to be able to practice dentistry in it. So if, if the question of practice ownership ever comes up or comes up, you know, you know, came up or will come up in the future, for me, it will always be to service the clinical dentistry. That's, that's where the true love lives, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, fair enough. Um, of all the CPDs that you've done, you know, uh, which would you say was the mo the game changer for you, and why? So, um, oh, close to ten years ago, I did um, a course with uh, Tony Soracci from Momentum, and um, I think for me that was a bit of a turning point in terms of. Um, focusing me and encouraging me into the comprehensive dentistry, comprehensive treatment planning okay. um, and communication that goes with it. Uh, and also incorporating regular clinical photography into my practice, mm. you know, proper, you know, with uh, DSLR cameras. So that was a big one for me. So I was going to say, was that because prior to that you – it wasn't something that you were seeing at the practices or because the practice um, time or the way um, the practice was being run didn't facilitate that? Like, Yeah, exactly. Um, there was that, but also I think, you know, I just hadn't grown enough within myself uh, as, a, as a dentist um, to be thinking in those ways. You know, I, I was, you know, I was you know, just like any other dentist, you know, I was a, I was more of a recent graduate. And even though I had all these experiences under my belt and, uh, you know, I hadn't quite figured out how to do and present comprehensive dentistry for my patients. And I think, uh, you know, that course, you know, Tony was great. She, she really kind of like made you question, well, you know, when you look in somebody's mouth, and you see all these things, do you diagnose all of them mm -hmm. properly? Do you spend the time to? Do you then take the time to treat and plan them and to provide those options to the patients in an effective, you know, non-threatening way, in a way that doesn't seem like selling, you're just giving them the options. And I don't know, it, it, I guess for me, I've been doing it so many years now, I can't not do it. And it seems, seems common sense to me, but at the time, it, funnily enough, it didn't. And I think, I think for a lot of people, it's not necessarily common sense until you're shown and taught how to do it. Mm. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Has there been um, anyone who's been pivotal in your career path and why? Back in, uh, back in the UK, when I was a, uh, working in the hospital system there in the restorative department. Um, I had a professor, um, Martin Kelleher, or Mr. Martin Kelleher. And uh, uh, Ma Ma Martin is, uh, is, is a consultant in restorative dentistry at King's College Hospital, and he's a fantastic guy. He's this big Irish guy and uh, quite, quite gruff and blunt. And, uh, you know, he can be quite abrasive with you, uh, you know, very classic. And um, he, he shaped and formed a lot of my, um, a lot of my early years um, opinions and views. And uh, what, what, what Martin's very big in, as anybody who knows him will tell you, is uh, minimally interventive uh, dentistry. Minimally in interventive dentistry has a lot of different meanings, but in a nutshell, Martin talks about don't be destructive. Uh, don't cause unnecessary damage. If you're doing anything, think about it, be ethical about it, uh, do it for a good reason. And um, 
one martin's got a lot of publications but one very influential publication he calls it the daughter test i don't know if you've come across this you might have basically he says if you're about to offer a treatment to a patient or perform a treatment on a patient ask yourself this question would you do this same thing on your own daughter or on your own mother or sister or brother or whatever and uh if you ask that question from yourself and you hesitate you then got to think about why you hesitated. What's that about? So Martin, yeah, Martin's been very influential in, in a lot of ways in, in my dental, dental career. And uh, I, I've got a lot of respect for him and a lot of time for him. And I hope to see him again at some point in the UK. Hmm. Fair enough. That leads me to my next question, which is mentoring. You know, a lot of graduates want mentoring. What are your thoughts on recent graduates looking for mentoring? I think it's great. Um, I think mentoring is extremely important because when you come out of uni, quite frankly, um, you're a bit you're, you're a bit lost. You don't know. You know, if you go into a practice, you know, in a random place with nobody to help you or guide you anywhere. What do you do? What do you offer? You know, it's 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 a very big, scary world out there when you come out and graduates. So, I think mentoring is 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 very uh, very very useful if you're lucky enough to get it in your early career, uh, especially a good mentor who's willing to put the time and effort into um, helping you and teaching you. Um, it, it's a difficult one because there's no definite, clear pathway in Australia. Uh, for this sort of thing. In the UK, like I said, when you first graduate, you have uh, one year and now two years of um, sort of officialized mentoring, which is when you go into practice with a, with, with a recognized mentor so that you can work into practice, but at the same time, somebody is there to help you and watch over you. And in fact, I think there's like a curriculum that runs through it. You know, um, those first couple of years, you, you meet up with other new graduates in your area and you have talks and lectures and you know you talk to each other so there's almost like support groups there um but yeah as far as i understand it you know in australia that such a system doesn't exist so it's a little bit um by luck or good fortune that you can come across such mentors in your own practice yeah i would say that um for some of our more recent graduates they probably don't know but there was a program um, before I graduated, um, uh, where they actually had the, um, like a graduate program, but for whatever reason that went for a, only a year or two, and then it just kind of fell through. Um, and to your point, like I did hear about these from colleagues, um, yeah. when I was doing the program in, um, in London that, yeah, you guys have in the UK, a structured program where people, when they come out, um, do get that training and it still continues. Um, I didn't know it was gone for two years now, but um, yeah, that sounds like a great program that I wish we could bring back. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, I know. I know. I don't know why the one over here fell through. Um, I didn't know that it had existed. I, it's a bit strange, isn't it? it so is. such a, I think it's really needed. Um, so hopefully at some point, something like that will come around again. Yeah. 
I mean, look, all, all different graduates have different ways of looking at mentoring, right? Some people like to be held by the hand. Some people want to be checked in once in a while. Some people want to be a fly on a wall and just learn by observing. How do you find yourself, you know, uh, uh, learning? And how do you find when other people come to you and ask, hey, I want to observe you? Uh, I, I really like teaching. Um, so there's, that's another... Um, I guess you could call it a passion of mine. So, so I, I like doing dentistry, but I also really enjoy imparting knowledge as well. So um, back in the UK, before I came here, I was, I was um, doing a, a clinical supervising in a final year dental students over there. And when I came to Australia, I did the same thing for one year at Westmead Hospital uh, with the final year students. Um, and then I moved a lot further away, so it was too far for me to drive to Westmead. Um, <laughs> But, you know, currently it's something that I miss, uh, I miss doing. So um, now and again, various people reach out to me on, on Facebook and uh, ask me questions and things. And, and uh, I'm actually excited to, to answer back and to help them. I, I get a kick out of it. And um, I guess, uh, and there's, there's a few people that I guess you could call mentees. Um, uh, I'm, I've been very happy for them to come and observe me in my practice and watch what I do and uh, we've, you know, we've developed a relationship. They send cases and various things to me every now and again, and we go through them. And so it, it, it's something that I thoroughly enjoy. Um, and, you know, I hope to, you know, hopefully do something more with it at some point in the future. I don't know in what form exactly, but um, it, it's something that, you know, I see it as, again, part of myself. Mm. Have there been any struggles in your CPD journey so far that some of our viewers might not know about? Um, so well, one thing I'd say is myself, um, I've got a, I think this is something that a lot of dentists, um, experience, uh, you know, having spoken to colleagues and friends, uh, I think all of us, we, we work in such a stressful, you know, fine manual job. Uh, we have strong internal critics and, um, I've got a very strong internal critic and, you know, this internal critic is a double-edged sword in that, um, you know, as, as you grow and you develop more skills and you do better things to a high standard, this internal critic also gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And the good part of this critic is it strives you to improve and get better all the time. It doesn't let you rest and, you know, just, just be satisfied. The bad side of it is it can be brutal. And, you know, anytime you do anything and you look at it and, you know, no matter how well you've done it, you will see fault, you will see problems, you will beat yourself up about it. And you will go home and it'll be on your mind and you will go to bed and you will think about it any time that something's not perfect. So it's a difficult one because uh, I value my internal critic because it's been hugely responsible for getting me to where I am because I want to strive to improve. But at the same time, You've got to tame it, I guess, I guess to some, some point. Mm -hmm. You know, you keep hearing from young dentists posting on Facebook, um, experiencing this sort of thing about how they, they struggle with this feeling of, uh, you, you know, dentistry is a hard job and, and um, you, you hear about some people struggling with, with dentistry in general. And your heart goes out to them because you think, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And this is something that I felt in the past. 
and I'm still feeling it. And I think that's a part of thing that probably people don't see. Um, you know, people talk to me and they think I've got it all sorted out and I'm confident and I'm doing all great stuff. Well, actually, no, there are some days that I, I don't feel that way. You know, there are some days that I look at something that I've done and I think I could have done better. And inside of my head, that internal critic is, is beating me up. And um, I think probably everybody feels that, but not everybody talks about it or admits it. So I think it's an important thing to bring up and talk about sometimes. Mm. So then how do you cope? I mean, look, you, you've done the case, you've taken the photo, you look at it and you're like, you're not 100% about it and you, you're beating yourself over it. But how do you kind of overcome that? Or how do you, how would you suggest, you know, tackling it? I think you've got to go very logical, very objective, you know, um, put the emotion aside and force yourself to be objective about what you're looking at and see this problem that I'm looking at, how much does it actually matter? Long term, is it going to have an effect on the longevity of what I've done on the success rate? If yes, then I will try to fix it. If no, and I'm just being a super pedantic dentist and, you know, focusing on something that nobody else will ever see, the patient won't ever know about and has no actual bearing on the success or the longevity of what I've done, then I'm kind of like, you know what, Bez, you did your best. Sure, you can see this little blemish in a part of the tooth that nobody else can see. How do you fix that for next time? So to take a lesson from it, so plan for the future on how to fix what you're unhappy about. So it's that constant striving to learn from your mistakes, but also objective so that you're not beating yourself up unfairly over things that may not actually matter that much. Mm. Yeah. I want to ask as well is that some graduates, you know, they find a practice and they're just not happy with it, you know? How do you, how would you suggest to them uh, in terms of what they should be looking for or, you know, how do they determine, you know, this practice suits me and I'm happy to stay here? It's a really hard one. Um, in, uh, in Australia, you know, I, I know a lot of people that kind of like, they graduated, they kind of went to one practice and they've been there ever since for the past 10, 15, 20 years. And it's been a great practice for them. It's incredible. You know, how did you do that? I think the vast majority of people don't get that. And I certainly didn't have that, you know. I mean, obviously, I was in the UK and I did various things and I came to Australia. But ever since I came to Australia, I've worked at quite a few different practices. Um, and that's because, for me, they weren't suitable for various reasons. Um, I couldn't grow to be the kind of dentist that I wanted to be. So the answer to your question is very difficult. Um, what do you do? I think you've got to look at what the problem is and what you're unhappy about. Some things, you know, I guess this is another whole chat about this sort of thing. Some things could be deal breakers. You know, I've been in practices where I've had complete deal breakers. I was like, no, I can't live with this. In which case you leave, you go to another practice. Um, other times you might have to make uh, compromises. Uh, you know, there are things that you're not happy with. And, uh, but you know, what things are you happy with? Can you live with it? 
can you can you can you be there and you know make your you know make your living and at the same time improve and gain clinical experience and maybe at some point in the future you know if things weren't right and you've gained your experience then move on to somewhere else so i, th I think there's no blanket rule to this you got to really look at each situation and think about whether or not the things you're not happy with you can live with or not and whether there are any deal breakers that, uh, in, in, in that equation. Mm, fair enough. So I want to switch to flip. I want to flip it a little bit. So what's your current clinical day look like? The type of procedures you get up to? It's, it's a big mix. It's a big mix. So I have... You know, really everything in there. If you, I think you, the better question is, what does my typical week look like? Sure. So um, there's there's checkups and cleans. There's there's normal fillings. There's crowns, bridges. There's seric. There's a fair bit of Invisalign. Um, here and there, there's surgical extractions. There's here. Here and there, there are implant placements. Randomly dotted here and there, there are root canal treatments. It's a typical general dentistry day. There are cosmetic stuff, I forgot to say that. So yeah, there's, there's uh, um, a fair bit of um, composite porcelain veneers, injectable technique, the sausage technique. <laughs> A lot of them, a lot of those follow on from uh, treating patients with Invisalign. So you've, that's that's what I was saying. You kind of plan them together. Once you've done your Invisalign, you get to the end. That's when you come on to finish off the treatments and get that you know nice end result by getting the teeth to look good. But a typical general dental day. Mm. Can you share with us what you hope your ideal clinical day or non-clinical day might look like in five years' time and how do you want to get there? Honestly, I don't think it'd be all that different. Not, not the composition of it, you know, because like I said, I enjoy everything. Um, if I was to say what things I really enjoyed that, you know, maybe I'd increase the proportion that I'm even doing. Cosmetic stuff, um, particularly, you know, I, I really enjoy the hands-on aspect of um, doing composite, composite veneers those kind of things. I, I find the artistic aspect uh, supremely satisfying. So they're always a highlight when they come up. So there you go. More implants, more Invisalign, but really still a mix of everything. I, I wouldn't cut anything out. Yeah. I, I, I was hoping that you would talk about the 3D, just, you know, milling more. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, well, I mean, I guess that depends on where 3D printing technology goes. Um, at the moment, it's not quite there yet to, you know, actually make definitive restorations with. You know, some people say it is, but most people think it's not quite there yet. But look, yeah, definitely. 3D printing, I think, is, is the future of dentistry. Uh, every practice is going to have it at some point in the, in the next five to ten years. We'll see. We'll see where we get to. Yeah. Could you share some more words of wisdom um, to your younger self if, and what would it be? Keep doing what you're doing. Um, you're on the right track, I think. 
And um, probably if I could go back in time, I'd do communication courses earlier in the first couple of years since graduating. Uh, I think they're very, very important and really something that every modern dentist you need to have in your skill set. That would be the, probably the main thing. Hmm. Well, Dr. Bez Shukohi, thank you for coming on the show today. If you could let the people know how they can find you. Uh, sure. So I'm on, uh, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I've got a page on there, Dentistry by Dr. Bez Shukui. Uh, I'm also on Instagram, doctor.bez.shakui. Um, so I, on a fairly regular basis, I post cases on Facebook and Instagram, some interesting stuff. Uh, the Facebook one tends to be more step-by-step -step stuff. Uh, the Instagram, more just visual things. So uh, reach out. Anybody wants to talk to me, happy to have a chat. Uh, again, like I said, I quite enjoy the mentoring aspect and helping out. Uh, anybody who'd like uh, some inspiration. If you like this episode, drop a comment below on your favorite part or leave a review. Don't forget to share it with your friends and we'll see you in the next episode of CP Junkie Podcast.